Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. We are ex-Mormon Christians united for Jesus, unveilingmormonism.com. My name is Lynn Wilder. Hey, I'm Michael Wilder. And we have with us Matt Eklund today, um, a former Mormon missionary, now biblical Christian. He's telling us his story to Jesus, although we haven't quite got to Jesus yet. Um, Matt's just at the end of his mission in Belgium and Holland. And um, Mike, you had a question about that. Yeah, you know, when... when Matt was talking about the events that happened in his mission, Belgium, France, and so forth. He said after he left there, the LDS church actually closed some of those missions down. And so the question I have for Matt, I said, what did you do there that <laughs> caused so much do? destruction for the LDS church that they had to start closing down the mission in France and Belgium? I mean, were you teaching false doctrine? Were you just just give us an update, or was there really some really strange things going on there uh, at that point? It's actually the exact opposite. Uh, we converted all of France and Belgium to the LDS faith, so oh, okay. they, they just didn't need us there anymore. Oh, okay, my mistake. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, so no, just kidding. Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit, and uh, there, our mission president. Um, he actually served his mission in the Paris mission. So, so it still took up the same geographical area and uh, he served his mission the same time as Mitt Romney in the same mission, actually. And uh, I think Mitt Romney was an assistant at the, at the time, an assistant to the president. So, uh, and he told us a story of how previously in the mission, there was a group of elders that uh, had gotten a hold of some, uh, some material from the LeBaron family in Mexico. And uh, they kind of read that and started reading that. And then they started doing weird things like uh, doing, LDS uh, temple ceremonies outside the temple, like they would they would do it in like the uh, baptismal font, I think, in like one of the churches. It's a weird story. Uh, anyways, I won't go into that. But if you want to read more, there's a, <laughs> a, a a dialogue journal article called something. I actually Googled it because uh, I was curious. It's called the Trial of the French Mission. So if you want to hear about that, yeah. go ahead. But yeah, I won't go into that. Well, so that's maybe, hilarious you would mention the LeBarons. We're about yeah. to have them on the podcast. You probably oh, know really? Adams Road has a girl <laughs> um, from that polygamy colony that came to Jesus and has been in their ministry for several years. And mm. so there's a pastor down there now um, in the LeBaron polygamy colony preaching Jesus. And he's about yeah. to come on the podcast, Mike and Rosa. That's awesome. Praise yeah. God. That's great. God's doing some crazy stuff, isn't he, right now? I mean, okay. look, here we have a missionary that eventually ends up with Jesus. Okay, so hard times on your mission. It must have been really isolating. I have kind of a weird question. So were there men in your life mentoring you in Mormonism? Um, was your father encouraging you on your mission did you have a stake president or were your mission president anyone else kind of in your life as a male to male yeah there, so my dad uh, well at that time you could only really email your family they were really strict about that i think they've become a lot more lax with that now yeah. where we could only send basically at least my mission president said you can only send like one or two emails and only to direct family like you you, you shouldn't be sending men even even like individual emails to specific people. It should all be lumped together in like one big email. 
So in terms of like encouragement, yeah, it was mostly just my direct immediate family. And um, my dad was active at, uh, he still is active in the LDS church. So he was kind of a big support for me during my mission when I was, when I was struggling. And my, and my mom, even though my mom and um, I forgot to mention too, my parents have remarried since. So my, my, my mom is remarried. My dad's remarried. And my, uh, so we have kind of a big extended family now with the step siblings and things like that. But not um, each other. See, I am, when you said remarried, I assumed each other. Okay. Oh, oh, gotcha. oh, yeah. no, 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 sorry. Yeah, I wasn't clear on that. Different people, yes. <laughs> okay. And uh, so, yeah, my dad was a big encouragement to me on my mission. Um, and even though my mom and my stepfather are not uh, active LDS, they were also very encouraging just to, you know, just in general, you know, tell me I'm doing a great job, you know, and encourage me that way. And, and uh, they would send packages too. You know, it's really hard to get Reese's peanut butter cups in uh, Europe. So I was yeah. really appreciated when they sent those our, our way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people don't realize a mission is really hard. I mean, it mm. is at least back when you guys went, uh, you know, I remember my kids, kids, when they went, how hard it was. And I remember being a ward mission leader. I mean, these guys worked hard and they were lonely and... I used to always bring, I got into trouble with the bishop, but I I always used to, you know, if they didn't have a place to eat on Sunday, I brought them home. And if Lynn was state primary president, uh, uh, she was gone. So I used to make dinner, mm-hmm. you know, or lunch or something for the missionaries all the time because I just said, you guys need you need to be able to interact with some people. So it was, a, it was an interesting scenario. Then I started a program about having the missionaries eat at people's houses on Sunday. And then I got called in by the bishop that I wasn't supposed to do that. But but then the state <laughs> presidency liked it and ended up in, instituting it in, in the in the state uh, program there uh, at that point, many, many, many years ago. I mean, many <laughs> years ago. But anyway, back to but your story. But that's a good point, right? Yeah. That yeah. I don't think Christians realize how difficult it is for Mormon missionaries, how much love and support they could use, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. A hug here and there, although they're not supposed to do that. But certainly encouragement and positivity. Um, And if you're approaching them with a biblical gospel, doing that in a respectful and kind and positive way. Um, Mm. I know one of our sons really had a difficult time on his mission. And I used to send him packets of ranch dressing um, because he couldn't get them in Russia. Yeah. And Re- Russia was not an easy mission. No. And then he, had, he spent six months in Belarus, which was almost like a third world country. It was pretty rough yeah. there too. So had no yeah. idea how hard it was. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we really encourage the people, the Christians, if you run across the Mormon missionaries out there, uh, invite them to your house. I'd rather have them speak to Christians uh, and instead of nominal Christians and feed them and teach them the gospel nicely and listen to the missionaries and then just ask questions. But that doesn't reconcile with the Bible. <laughs> Can you mm. explain that to me <laughs> and go from there? So, uh, but continue, Matt. So you're you're yes. in Belgium now. Uh, you're turning the mission upside down, okay? And uh, and so so now you've got to save the mission. So pick it up from there. <laughs> yeah, actually, I wanted to comment on what you both said because that's that's really true in terms of like feeling isolated and feeling 
having just a rough time. I just remember knocking lots of doors, talking to lots of people. Didn't didn't feel like anybody wanted to talk to us. You know, it's very secular in Europe, um, and that's where Paul served his mission as well, and uh, your son as well. Uh, well, multiple sons, I guess. Matt, so yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, it's just really rough, and and a lot of my fondest memories were. Uh, like, for example, just one sweet uh, Catholic lady that we we tracked it into and we thought she wanted to hear the gospel, but she just wanted to feed us. She's like, oh, yeah, come back tomorrow at like noon. And she made this huge pasta dinner. And it was like, I think oh. it was like, I think it was like fast Sunday the next day. So it was like a Saturday. So we already had a huge lunch and she invites us over and she puts this huge <laughs> bowl of delicious pasta and meat. And we're just like, oh, my goodness, I, I can't do this. So we we stuffed it down. And uh, we were just like waddling down the streets. <laughs> and, uh, we did more tracking. We're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. So let's just try, you know. And then we tracked it into another building where this guy uh, lit us in. And he set down this whole tray of snacks and cookies and stuff. And we're like, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, just just one little act of compassion like that just is can mean the whole world to a missionary who's really struggling, you know. Um, even even if they don't, they're not willing to hear the gospel, just, just an act of kindness really goes a long way, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, so in terms, in terms of my mission, I, I, I overall I enjoyed it. We had a lot of good times. Um, uh, probably one of the hardest parts of my mission, which I didn't think it was going to be that hard, was going to the office. Uh, you know, like there's there's this hierarchical structure in the LDS missions where it's like you ha- you start out as like a mission, uh, you know, a, a newbie, and then you become a senior companion, and then you can become a district leader and a zone leader and an assistant to the president. So I was a I was a district leader at the time, and uh, I was told by all the Z, the ZLs, the zone leaders above me, they're like, oh, we put you in, you know, we think you're going to become a zone leader. And I got the call the night before, because if you got the call the day of the transfers, that meant you were going, you know, transferring somewhere. But if you call the night before, that meant you were getting a leadership call. And so we got the call the night before. I'm like, oh man, what, what's going to happen now? And they're like, okay, Elder Eklund, you're coming to the office. And like that had the stigma of being like, that's where the bad missionaries went because, you know, you weren't getting any work done. So we're going to stick you in an office and do a uh, desk work. <laughs> but so I was in the, but, uh, but actually I really enjoyed my time there. It was just a little struggle because it felt like a, a nine to five job. And then you had detracting two hours at night or three hours at night. So, so I served my time in the office and I served and my last city was Charleroi in Belgium. And that's where I finished. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a, I had a lot of really great experiences there. I made a lot of good friends. Um, but it was it was a struggle. It, it felt like there wasn't much success there, um, and it, so it felt like you were constantly struggling to just get people to talk to you, let alone have teaching lessons. And in terms of like meals and stuff, I I, I really didn't get that many meals. And our mission president was kind of strict. He said you can only stay for an hour, and you shouldn't be having weekly meals with members because that's a waste of time. So so I felt bad because there were a few times where I told members I, I couldn't see them anymore because. You know, our mission president was really strict at the time and, and we shouldn't be spending so much time with members. I feel bad about that now looking back on it because they were so sweet. They, they offered meals every every week and I really wanted it, but I was like, you know, I got to be obedient. You know, that was the number one thing for missionaries is obedience. So. so what did you do after your mission? You went home to Utah, I assume. Yep. So I, I returned home. So I lived with my parents for uh, at, the, at least the beginning uh, I started attending Weber State again. So at that point, I was already kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do as a career. And I think it was like the the jolt of of leaving. And I think it was like Java version four or five uh, that people were using in classes when yeah. I left. And then when I came back, they were using like Java nine or 10. I'm like, okay, this is getting ridiculous. It's like, uh, you know, maybe that's what pushed me towards physics and engineering is like, well, 
you know, computer programs and computer codes, they're always changing, but physics is, is pretty much the same, right? Like God's not changing physics very often. So, <laughs> so I think that's what pushed me to go towards engineering. But even going that path, I still do a lot of programming. You know, you can never really get away from computers these days. So yeah, I started going back to classes. It was a rough transition because I was taking advanced calculus and, you know, uh, engineering courses and stuff. And I hadn't done math in three years. So that was kind of rough, but um, and the, just the transition of coming home and feeling lost, you know, I think, I think, I can't remember whose interview it was. Uh, um, I can't remember if it was with Mike or Matt, but it feels like uh, on our podcast, it feels like a lot of missionaries come home and they feel aimless. You know, you had a purpose, you knew exactly what you were there for in your mission. It was hard, but you felt like, okay, this is what I'm here to do. This is why I'm here. And then you get home and you're like, okay, uh, I guess get married, you know, like, you know, there's not really a lot of direction for you when you get home. And, uh, it was really hard too because I asked my bishop for callings and things like that, but it it was like a paperwork thing. They didn't give me a calling, so I felt like a like a sideliner, you know. So it was a little bit of a rough transition back to quote unquote normal life. I think our guys had exit interviews with their mission presidents that told them to go home and get married right away, right? Mm. <laughs> Pretty much. Mm. Which keeps you LDS because typically you're marrying in the temple and then and then you have kids and off it goes, right? And then you're yeah. kind of there. So mm. so you're, you're home, you're studying, okay? Um, did you go back and attend the temple very often or did you kind of put that to the side? Yeah, I went at least once every few months. Like I wasn't going regularly every week, but it did seem like I was going um, when I could. Uh, school kept me really busy with exams and school, things like that. And although you could probably say that if I had, I probably should have prioritized, you know, as a good Latter-day Saint, I should have prioritized more time going to the temple. But yeah, I did. I did try to go at least once every few months. Okay. So I've, I've got another question. You were talking about, uh, sorry, Lim, we got to talk about important things about computer, computer science. Okay. <laughs> so you're talking about programming. Did, did you ever take a language called assembler? Uh, no, I haven't. I know, I know they do teach like assembly level uh, coding stuff in college okay. still, but I never took a course in that. Okay. Okay. They said only the really smart people took that. So, but uh, that's all right. So, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it was a very hard, it was a very hard language. I had to have two uh, semesters of it. So, uh, oh, wow. uh, in, in school. But, uh, but anyway, I was just curious. Um, um, it's as close to machine language as you can get. Um, that, right. uh, it's like, like COBOL, for, uh, Fortran, and all those other ones. Okay. Back to more important things about programming so people. Okay, we got to program people in the LDS church to keep them <laughs> going to the temple and keep doing the right things over and over. You got to be programmed exactly right. Um, mm. So, so yeah. you're going through school, okay, and you're you're attending the temple once a quarter or something like that. And is there any kind of as you're studying, you know, preparing to go in more into engineering, studying calculus, numerical, Newton's numerical law regression, and so forth? Uh, are, are there feelings about any questions about, you know, maybe the Book of Mormon or church doctrine, or is it all blending just fine at this point? Yeah, the, there's, that's a great question. Yeah, because obviously uh, where I got to today, I had to start somewhere, right? <laughs> uh, you don't, you don't just wake up one day and say, I don't want to be LDS anymore. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely a process. So yeah, I went through college and, you know, you're worried about just getting through, um, and it wasn't, I didn't really start struggling until, um, 
I mean, you know, sometimes questions will pop up, but I think everybody of every faith, you know, sometimes they'll hear something that maybe doesn't jive 100% with what they believe or feel. But a lot of times it's like, well, that's not really that important. So I'm not going to worry about that. You know, in LDS culture, you call it putting it on, on the shelf. But um, it wasn't really until like 20, I want to say 2013, 2014, I was a gospel doctrine teacher in my singles ward at the time. And uh, I was, I think I was teaching from the, uh, what's that called? Gospel principles class. I think that's like yeah. kind of like what you get yeah. to new members or, or investigators. And there was a lesson where we were talking about temple ceremonies. And uh, so I thought it was a pretty basic question, but you know, anytime you bring up the temple, people kind of in the LDS church, they get very hesitant to like, Oh, I gotta be careful what I can and can't say. So I, I just asked, okay, so what, what ordinances do we perform in the LDS temple? I thought it'd be a pretty easy question, you know, just to kind of get everybody started in the discussion. And so, you know, we said baptisms for the dead. We said um, confirmations for the dead, uh, ordinations for priesthood and uh, the washing anointing and, and the endowment. I said, that's great. And uh, somebody raised their hand and said, uh, yeah, there's also the second endowment. I was like, hmm, that kind of rattled something in my brain. Cause I remember, I remember reading about that years and years ago before, you know, like before my mission, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And nobody else said anything. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to look into that. And so that kind of rattled the thing in my brain. Second anointing, um, right? Second anointing. anointing. Yep. yep. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 But they called it the second endowment, but yeah. Really? I've never heard that. I've never heard that term. That's okay. why I said something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I learned something today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. It's probably more properly called the second anointing, but so I started looking into that and I had actually studied a lot of that stuff before my mission, but when you're younger and you feel like you don't have enough life experience, a lot of times you're kind of willing to, I don't know, to me, it feels like you're, I was willing, less willing to question things critically. I was like, well, you know, I don't know enough about that. Or maybe, maybe that's something that I'll figure out later. But as you go through life and you kind of like, maybe after it was my mission, or maybe it was just going through college and kind of like, you know, being taught to think critically and, you know, math skills and the logic and things like that. I was more willing to question it. I was like, huh, that's very strange that there's this, you know, this ordinance that used to be very common in the LDS faith the second anointing that, that guaranteed your exaltation, but now it's never talked about, you know, hardly anyone ever receives it. But also it was around that same time that um, Tom Phillips had his uh, interview with John DeLynn on Mormon stories podcast, where yeah. he describes the second anointing. So it was kind of, uh, it was kind of an interesting coincidence that that happened around the same time. I was like, Oh wow, they're still doing it. Why, you know, and that started really causing me to question why are more LDS not getting this? You know, I've never talked to anyone who, I mean, obviously, if they received it, they probably wouldn't tell me. But I doubt I probably knew anyone, maybe except for my mission president, that actually might have even been eligible to receive it. Why is there this ordinance that would bring so much peace and so much comfort to LDS? Why is it being withheld? Um, and so that really kind of started me down that path of, of questioning things like that. And then I, got, getting, I started getting into, um, oh, what's his name on, on YouTube? Um, does a lot of historical uh, videos on, on the LDS church. Uh, I forget his name, uh, but anyways, uh, he does a lot of great videos and started questioning, you know, even fundamental things that I took for granted, like the restoration of the priesthood, you know, the, um, and I knew that there were different accounts of the first vision, but you, you kind of just take it as like, well, you know, maybe he described it slightly differently. There's not really that much difference between the accounts. It's not that big a deal, but when you actually read them, you're like, oh, wow. Like the 1832 account is almost completely different from the 1838 account. You know, he, in 1832, he said he had decided that all churches were already wrong and he wanted his forgiveness of sins. And in the quote-unquote official account of 1838, he hadn't decided yet that all churches were wrong. Uh, that's why he went to God in prayer. And it's like, that's, that's a complete contradiction. So 
it was a lot of little things like that that I started to dig into. And, you know, it's kind of jumping into the rabbit hole where, you know, the more you dig, the more you, the more you hope you'd find answers that would bolster your testimony. But the more I just kept finding questions that kept uh, undermining my testimony. <laughs> so that's kind of when it started. It was 2013 and it kind of gradually grew uh, over the next couple of years. So from what you've said recently, I want to I want to just stop for a second because Christians won't get this whole second anointing thing. Right. Um, the point I want to make about that is if you're LDS, you have no assurance of salvation in this life. There is no assurance that you do not say you're saved. You say, I hope I've done enough. I hope, I hope, I hope to be saved one day, right? But this second anointing, which apparently Mitt Romney was called in to the prophet and had his right before the election, um, it gives you assurance of two things. One, that you will be saved in the next life, right? Not in this life, that you will be saved and that you will become a god. Those are the two assurances of the second anointing. So the second anointing really is equal to Christian salvation, except that, you know, Christians don't want to be gods. But um, but but in this life, we know that we have eternal life, right, as Christians. Mm-hmm. But Mormons do not know that. And that is the really the one reason why Christians need to talk to Mormons, right? Mm-hmm. They need this peace that comes from the assurance of salvation. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. that was kind mm-hmm. of a... Yeah, and, and really I appreciate that. I, yeah, I want to add just a little bit to that because again, we have Christians that's left listening to that, and in Mormonism, you know, we were always taught that through the um, the well, crucifixion and resurrection, no, no, oh, no, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all mankind will be saved to at least to some degree of glory. Okay, it's called mm-hmm. general salvation. So a lot of times when Mormons will say, you will ask a Mormon, it says, am I saved? Or as a Christian, am I saved? And they'll say yes, because they're thinking general salvation, okay? Where Christians say, am I saved? Yes, I will live in the presence of God. And the only way you can live in the presence of Heavenly Father in Mormonism is that you have to go to the temple. You have to maintain your holiness and righteousness all through your life. And if you've done enough and it counts, then grace will kick in enough to carry you to live in the presence of Heavenly Father. So the whole concept of the second anointing is that that's guaranteed, one, your godhood, but also that you are saved to be able to live in the presence of God. And that's the key thing. It's it's a done deal, okay? You, you don't have to worry about anything. But I've I've personally visited people on their deathbeds, men uh, who were always active LDS, were temple recommend going men, very good men from a church standpoint, and they would always say, "I hope I've done enough," and that was it was never guaranteed. But we as Christians know it's a done deal. Okay, it is a done deal. We're going to live in the presence of God, and. Basically, there's nothing I can do about because now the Christ dwells in me and I'm a changed person. I am created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And that's that's the good news. That is really the good news of the gospel. 
Uh, oh, by the way, then, uh, the the second anointing is really no big deal. Uh, I remember when I went through it, it just was, you know, it just, <laughs> you met a few people, you go to the temple and yeah, yeah. So, okay, I'm going to become a God. Okay. Okay. Big deal. Okay. And then you move on. No, that's just a joke. But, but anyway, it's, it's, it's a whole concept that, you know, we, I never heard anything about it till when, when did we first learn a concept of the second anointing? I don't know, baby. I did know that in temples, there was usually a kind of an upper room, an assembly room often where the 12 could meet and, you know, probably 70s could meet and special things happened that we didn't know about because we weren't, you know, part of the inside. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We were were kind of leadership locally, but (laughs) but yeah. Yeah. Well, we're down to our last three minutes or so. Um, Why don't you give us a little tease for next time about what what other things caused you to question? Yeah, I think ultimately what caused me to question was just scripture. Um, that That was kind of what I really struggled with. As a as a Latter Day Saint, you're trained to read the Bible and the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants through the lens of the doctrine of the Church. So it's kind of like uh, you have almost like a tradition that you're that you that you're taught first, almost, and then it's kind of like okay, now that you have the the framework of the the, the restoration, now you can look and understand what Scripture is actually teaching. But as you, but as I started to question and you, you start to just kind of think critically and, like I said, just kind of maybe think more independently. The more I read the Bible versus the Book of Mormon versus Doctrine and Covenants, without trying to overlay that that restoration framework on top, you see, you start to see some things that are a little strange that don't quite match up or don't don't feel like they fit. And so I think I think that's where a lot of um, former LDS kind of kind of agree with is that like if you just read the Bible without trying to read it with the, the LDS lenses, you get a different story than kind of what you thought it was telling before. Wow. That is so true. Now, uh, before Lynn closes, I want you to think about some specific verses as we get into the next episode, okay? Um, just a few, maybe 30 or 40, um, <laughs> that you can quote and say, okay, this is what caused me really to start thinking. Um, sure. But it, that's 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 the beauty of coming back into the Bible. So uh, to to show you the difference between Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenant, church history, and everything else, comparing back to the biblical Bible. So Lynn, take it from here. Well, and of course, the criticism I always get is, well, we read the Bible, right? We read the Bible. So we'll start there next time. Grace and peace to you, friends. Thank you, Matt. Until next time. And may God bless.